All right, guys, we're in the middle of this mini series, stories that I wish would have made it into the book or the movie Black Hawk Down, but they didn't. And I have been waiting 30 years to have this conversation in public with the bravest man that I've ever seen in combat. His name is Brad Paulson. And I'm going to talk honestly about Brad's role on the city streets of Somalia and how he kept me alive. And by the way, parents, if your children are listening while this episode is going on, you might wanna ask them to go into another room because just as a disclaimer, this conversation is going to get bloody. There's no way around having a conversation about what Brad did on those city streets without getting bloody. Join me in this episode as I talk to the bravest single man I've ever seen in combat, my friend, Brad Paulson. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Before I get into the conversation with Brad, I wanna remind you that the Solomon Foundation is sponsoring this episode. And these guys have been around for a while. They're helping the local church grow and they do it by giving you an excellent return while you make an eternal impact. If you wanna know more about the Solomon Foundation, just check them out at thesolomonfoundation.org. Now here's my very honest conversation with this incredible warrior, Brad Paulson. Hey Brad, wow, it is great to see you, man. I literally haven't seen you in about 29 and a half years. Thanks for being on this episode with me. Yeah, it's been too long. It has. You and I have talked a lot on the phone. We've texted a bunch back and forth, but this is the first time that I've been able to see your face. So everybody who's watching well, this on YouTube gets a chance to see both of our faces too. Yeah. Hey. All right, man. So what I'm going to do with you is something that I should have done 29 years ago. I want to go down memory lane with you. Um, and what we're doing, as the listener knows, is we're doing conversations that I think personally, these stories should have been in Black Hawk Down instead of my story. And Brad, I'm just going to say something to you right up front, right out of the gate. You are, I have been to combat all over the world over many, many years. And to this day, in my mind, you are the bravest man I've ever seen in a firefight. No exception. <laughs> hey you know what you do the best you can yeah. that's all you can do yeah. it's i thought that I, I was doing what i thought i was that i was trained to do you know i was just trying to i didn't feel that way though at all man i, I didn't feel that way i was scared crapless I, yeah you and me and everybody around us were too um we're gonna get into the middle of this fight in mogadishu that becomes the book in the movie black hawk down but in order for me to back up this statement, and I literally mean it, right after uh, uh, receiving an award for Somalia, I looked at some people and said, and I, po I pointed your way, and I said, that's the bravest man I've ever seen in my life. And the ability to lead and to, uh, to fight with men like you in Somalia, it will, uh, I'll go to my grave as that being one of my greatest privileges in life. I will too. All right, so I need people to understand why I consider your actions that night so incredible. 
And in order to do that, I want them to know where you're at in your military career when we are <laughs> when we're doing this um, normal everyday training in Texas and get a call to stop what we're doing and fly over to North Carolina and get ready to go to Somalia. So tell everybody when you joined the army, how long you had been in the army when we started training up for Somalia. Man, this is a, I'm, I have like estimates. How about that? Sure. I can estimate yeah. it. I, I had a, uh, I, I, I waited a year after I was out of high school to join the army and uh, I just didn't like working on drywall and the things I was doing. I wanted to go to college. So join the army to do that. And uh, I didn't join normally with a ranger contract. I joined with just an open infantry contract. Yeah, me too. And then uh, sometime during basic training right after like AIT, something like that. One of my buddies was cleaning the first sergeant's office, saw the list. He's like, you know where you're going to go when you graduate? I'm like, where? He's like, South Korea. I'm like, how do I not do that? Yeah. How do I right? They said, hey, here, a couple of my buddies had ranger contracts. So they're like, you know, call your recruiter and get signed up as a ranger. So I did. Anyhow, long story short. Yeah. So I uh, got the battalion and it was a wake up. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's rough, you're there. Man. It's like, where oh, am I? What rough. am I doing here? Wow. I, I, yeah. I don't, I can't match what's around me. This is not, I'm the, ain't me. And you just give it your best. You try to stay, try not to be seen, try not to be noticed when you're a private. Other than if they ask for volunteers, I'd always be the idiot. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. Sure. So, but anyhow, I, I did okay though as a ranger. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't fall out anything and I I listened and I learned and, but I, when we were doing that, I was probably, it was sometime in, in 92 is when I joined and I don't remember when I got there. I was probably in battalion for about a, yeah, maybe a year, maybe a year, right? Maybe. You were and, private uh, first class when we were in Yeah, Florida, I got right? promoted and that pissed some people off, dude. Yeah. I got my private first class and they're still pb2s and they've been there longer than me they're like what the heck i'm like i don't know dude uh, but anyhow so i i was still i was just getting comfortable enough to know what i was doing as a private but i was i was not a i didn't know how to be a turret gunner sure. in somalia yeah. dude I didn't. Well, what got handed to all of us getting ready to go to somalia none of us were trained up and prepared for um, you went straight to weapons platoon when you showed up to the battalion or to the company. Is that right? Yeah. And, uh, the good thing about that, I got, I, I had been attached to all the different platoons yeah. on deployments. Right. Like in, in England, I think I was with the uh, second platoon maybe. Uh -huh. And in Panama, I was with your platoon. Yeah. I got to meet Ruiz and all them because yeah. Phipps knew everybody. So I got to meet people. I got to meet Joyce up down there. I got yeah. to meet, you know, so that, that was neat being, being in one platoon. That was a good thing about it. I got attached to different, different platoons and got to meet people yeah. well, and see I, what they did. I just got done doing an interview last week with Matt Eversman and Matt and I were talking about Jamie Joyce or James Joyce. And we were both talking about how much we respected the guy. As you remember, when we went on this training mission in Panama, Joyce was one of my team leaders. I loved the guy to death. Um, when, when we heard you and I heard that he was killed KIA in Somalia, man, that was a punch in the gut right there. All of them were it was Ruiz, that, all of them. 
my my roommate Cavaco was my roommate when yeah. I got to battalion. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. He was in mortars, and I was in his room. Me and him were roommates the whole time I was there. And then Kavaleski was he was a private that came into my squad. I trained him how to be a gunner. And if you're listening right now, the names that we're listing off are the names of the Rangers that were killed in action. And Brad is telling you he was right there learning from or living with all of the guys that got killed in action. Almost every yeah, one of them. It was painful, man. That was a hard deal. to. And and Smith is the only one that I don't think I probably did meet him, but I don't remember yeah. having conversations or getting to know him or anything. He's the one that I, I knew the least out of the guys. And then not long after Somalia, I took over his, his team. Yeah. So I was in his room. I'm uh-huh. seeing, reading his name on all right. the, the squad. Equi- I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Why, what did I do to deserve this, man? Uh, I joined the army like you. I didn't have a ranger contract. I really wanted one, but I couldn't get one from the recruiter. There weren't any available. So like you, I went to infantry training and to airborne school. And in airborne school, I volunteered to serve in the ranger regiment. I'm going. Uh, I'm asking every. I'm asking you to describe when you joined the army because I'm trying to demonstrate something. I don't know if you're aware of this, man. I don't know if I told you this, but by the time I got to Somalia, I had been in the Ranger Regiment for more than six for for six years. I had been in combat already in Panama um, and in Desert Storm with the Ranger Regiment. So. By the time we got off of the airplanes that first night, came under uh, mortar fire that first night, this is not the first time that I've been shot at, not the first time that I've been under enemy fire. But for you, you've been in the Army for about a year, maybe a year and a half by the time we get to Somalia. And for you, everything is brand new, right? Yeah, yeah. It was. It was a wake-up call. But we trained for that kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, how much tr- can you really train yeah. for when it's happening? It's a different thing. But I was lucky because Alfred Lamb, I mean, come on. Yeah, dude. right. He was my platoon when- platoon sergeant in weapons. When he took that over, he he tuned us up. Yeah. We were pretty we were pretty tight. We were re- as ready as a private that never saw combat could be. That guy had us ready as, as we could be. Yeah, totally agree. I worked That's with off Al, to that guy. I worked with Al Lamb before he went to Bico with us, and uh, I have the absolute greatest respect for him before the fight and ap- and much more after. Yeah. I asked you about weapons platoon because I want people to understand um, our battalion went away to do some training in Texas. We were over there for a couple of weeks. You're doing things with your platoon. I'm doing things with my platoon. And then in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, out of the blue, stop what you're doing. Everybody get on airplanes, just a handful of the yeah. battalion and go to North Carolina. And that's when you and I literally, that's when you and I kind of meet together for the first time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, with no notice, no preparation. I no, don't know no, you. You don't know well, me. And now we're I, on Humvees uh, yeah, trying yeah. to figure this thing out like, together. You guys, you guys, you, this is what you got. Is what's around you. This is what you count on. You, but I, I was, I was thankful to have you and um, Pila. I mean, that guy. He kept me. He kept me so comfortable over there. He was yeah. always asking, "Is there anything you you're wondering? Do you need any?" He was always there to to, to help guide me and, and give me confidence. That guy was a stud, man. I Nothing agree. but respect. 
on our first mission that we did together when we went to the K4 traffic circle and kind of held that circle down while they were taking down the compound just about a block away. I watched you and Pila working with each other, you on top of the Humvee, Pila with his machine gun right next to the vehicles. And I watched you guys working with each other. And honestly, I was really impressed by you. I was really impressed by Pila. That was all him, dude. Yeah, it was all him. I was going to say, what was most impressive is I didn't tell him to do that. He just naturally took the initiative, like he did. He was a leader, and and he was a leader. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so let's just get right into it. We are thrown into Somalia. I've never done missions on vehicles before. I don't even know how to drive a vehicle. I don't know how to operate vehicles. We get just a couple of days train up in North Carolina before we jump on these transport aircraft and go to Somalia. And you've never really operated a 50 cal before getting over there. Is that right? No, I mean, I, I, I'd used one on a range, you know, here, I'd take turns shooting this. Yeah. But I wasn't a 50 cal gunner. But trust me, once they said this is your job, I learned that thing yeah, quick yeah. and I got pretty good on it. I'm going to tell everybody how good you got on it. Um, one of the first things that we did over there is went out to the desert. Remember that little... Uh, 55 gallon drums that we set up way out in the desert outside for the snipers of town. To, yeah. to practice on and i was like okay guys yeah. <laughs> i watched you on a free gun no uh you know traversing equipment i watched you putting rounds on those drums in within one short burst and i was like yeah. this guy who's never <laughs> fired a 50 cal never really trained on a 50 cal is now yeah. faster and more accurate than anybody that I've ever seen who's worked on it for years. I was pretty good on it. I just I, I liked that gun. It was it was a fun. It took a it took your you had to use your whole body. Yeah. I mean, I did wrestling and stuff, you know, in, in school, and you had to really have you lean into that thing, and you had to your whole body had to you, took it. That's a tough gun, man. That's yeah. a, it's a you heavy beat. You got to control that gun, or that gun's going to yeah. control. Yeah, and I was you. just a, I was a little light little dude, and but I could do it. Yeah, I, I handled that pretty well. I was I was impressed with myself on that. You and I worked the system out. I don't know if you remembered it, where I would have some tracer rounds. I would put tracer rounds on where I wanted you to shoot the fifty cal, and within one short burst, you would be able to move the fifty cal onto my tracer rounds within a matter of seconds. I've never the seen the 50 cal. It's, it's, it's so long. It's, it's pretty easy to shoot, man. It's, it's a long, you just aim it and shoot, man. I'm telling you right now, I have never seen anybody before or since that can, that can is better with a 50 cal than you are. And you, you've never trained on it in your life before we get over. No, there. we did a little bit though. We trained a little before we went over. We, we got to go on some ranges in North Carolina. Yeah. A couple stuff. of days before we went yeah, over there. Yeah, I mean, couple, no real training. That's on all it. it takes. So I, I put every, every ounce of effort into it dude i tried my best you know my hardest it blew me away um we got so good you and i that i got to the point i had no question no matter where we were at what we were doing if i put a couple of tracer rounds on a target you would be on that target within a matter of seconds and i've never seen that before brad never seen it since man i don't even remember most of that so well okay before we get to the big fight on october 3rd and 4th uh, do you remember the the um, target that we went on and we stopped at the reviewing stand with the vehicles? Everybody else hit Radio Mogadishu and we get into a firefight from three different directions at the same time. Do you remember this? And dude, yeah, I remember exactly because in my head, I'm thinking, what what dumb kid is lighting off firecrackers, dude? 
what kind of kid would do that in front of us? What's going on? And and then I I start hearing the rounds whipping by me, and a couple RPGs went right by me and went off right behind us. And I'm like, okay, that's not fire. That's not firecrackers. Yeah. So we turned on them. We took care of that pretty quick because we had all those jeeps and all those guns. Just oh, that was it was like the Fourth of July yeah. going off right there. That the reason I bring that up is because if I'm not mistaken, that's kind of the first real time we're under kind of uh, accurate enemy fire. Is that right? Yeah, that was that was the most intense fire we were under. There was plenty of people popping rounds at us. You could hear them zinging by. Yeah, down the but streets. that was that was real close, and it was it was pretty pretty intense. Um, but Tenth Mountain was the guys that were shooting at us. They had guys. Me and Bonnet Bonnet talked to one of them guys a couple of days yeah. later, and. We, and they asked him, hey, did you guys see what happened the other night? They're like, we started, we saw these guys shooting at each other, so we start shooting at them. I, they're like, next thing you know, there's a machine gun rounds hitting the, the sandbags 10 feet in front of us, and RPGs landing behind us by like 10 feet. We had, me and Bonnet had them boxed yeah. in, and then the guys are like, she's fire, she's, I stopped, I was like, what, what? Yeah, that, that could have been bad, man. It could have been bad, and by God's grace, we didn't kill anybody in that American base that was firing at us. Yeah, um, that would have listener, been bad. But I got really close, dude. Yeah, for oh. the listener, um, that is not that uncommon, especially when you have different units that are not aware of what each other are doing. Um, but Bonnet is in the vehicle behind us. Bonnet has an automatic grenade launcher, 40 millimeter automatic grenade launcher, and you have the 50 caliber machine gun. By the way, this gun is almost 100 years old. It had been manufactured 100 years earlier when we were in Somalia. And you and Bonnet worked together seamlessly. It was awesome. Yeah, he was good on that thing. There was most guys, they did, most guys had never shot that gun. Yeah. I don't think I ever shot it. I had to remind and, Bonnet, uh, it takes about 10 meters to arm that uh, grenade, but once it goes off, it sends shrapnel everywhere. So be very careful where you're aiming that thing, man. Yeah, I don't think he ever hit me, so it's so all good. Back, back to the review and stand. We have the vehicles parked. We're waiting for the helicopters and everybody who went in by air to take down the target, and then they're going to move to us or we'll move the vehicles to them. And while we're parked, from behind, we get hit with enemy fire while there's a small ranger team going uh, behind us to investigate. That's when you guys spun around and started returning fire from behind and you did it in a matter of seconds. Um, do you know that one of the little bird pilots that was flying in the air that day came up to me as soon as we got back to the base and he said, Jeff, you should have seen it from the air. It was spectacular. There's one or two bad guys by the reviewing stand with AK-47s and then when they fire, all of a sudden, 50 weapons from the Humvees just load on them all at the same time with pinpoint yeah. accuracy. He said, it was, man, I wish I had a video of it. It was amazing. Yeah, I heard something about that. And then because we're taking fire from behind, that fire wakes up an American supply base that you're talking about. They start shooting at us from the opposite direction. Now we're getting hit from both the left and the yeah. right side. And they had to be like a quarter, a half mile away. Yeah. They, they were pretty far away. But And then while all of that is going on, all of a sudden the Somalis start to shoot at us from the hospital, literally using the hospital and the, the rules of warfare and the Geneva Convention. They're breaking their own rules. 
and shooting at us from the hospital from a third site. I know. And that I, I wasn't going to return. I, I didn't want to because, well, it's a hospital. And with the with the birds flying around at that distance, I, if I some of my rounds could have skipped off a building yeah. and hit one of the helicopters. I'm like, I can't. But that's where uh, Cavaco impressed the crap out of me, yeah. dude. Yeah. Free gun in that, that 240 or the uh, Mark 19. He's just like, bam, bam, bam. Bam, 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 right across the window with the guy the shooting at us. Yep. He, he just hit it with just one little, I was like, how do you do that, dude? Yeah, I was going to say, that hospital's a thousand yards away when he does yeah. that, and he's putting rounds right he's on the windows. Pop, 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 yep. right on it, man. It's he's, incredible. He took that guy out. So oh. now we're getting hit from three different directions at once. Everybody is scrambling to try to return fire left, right, and behind us. And in front of us is our assaulters still taking the target down. And I watched you, Brad. You were totally calm. You absolutely blew me away. Man, I, I was blown away by what I saw. Yeah, I don't, I, I just, you just react. You just follow your training, you know, try to do what you think is right and what you're supposed to. And that's all I did. Yeah, well, you did it and you did it. And, and that alone blew me away. So now by the time we get ready to roll out on October 3rd and 4th, at this point, you can shoot better than anybody that I've seen before. You've been in a firefight and you've remained calm. The two questions that I have as a combat leader about my guys in combat, and you've all of everybody's answered those two questions, but you have absolutely blown me away on both occasions. And we roll out in the city streets and we get to the target building. If you remember, um, our two vehicles, me and then Danny Mitchell behind us, we turned a half a block too early. Dude, that on, was scary. On, on the way to the target. I'm looking yeah. around. I'm like, hold on. Wait a second. What, 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 I'm, I'm like, I can't keep us. I can't cover us. I can't keep us safe here. We were, there was people everywhere. I still remember how it felt personally. I still remember how everybody in the vehicle felt when we turned half a block early and got just down the road. And all of a sudden every eye and every person like, started what are you? Two Hello. Two <laughs> yeah. And we became the easiest target. And I said to Danny, uh, we made a mistake. We need to get out of here. We need to get out of here really fast. Um, we get to the, I'm just kind of narrating until we get to the part that I really want people to hear about you. We get to our little holding position, waiting for the call to come up, pick up the assault force, get the bad guys and get out of there. And that's when I get a message from Colonel McKnight that dominant, I mean, that um, Blackburn, Todd Blackburn is seriously wounded. I have to move on foot to get to Mike uh, Steele's position just to find out where Blackburn is. Um, but then we start to fight our way up to Blackburn. And I don't know if you remember this. This is this may be something. I don't think I've talked to anybody about this in 30 years. But as we're fighting our way just to get to Blackburn, who's barely holding on to life, that position, uh, Blackburn's position is under some pretty intense fire from a dude in a tree. Do you remember this? I I remember a dude in a tree from one of the other times we went yeah. out. I don't remember this guy in a tree. Anyway, so we pull up to that intersection and I see the guy in the tree. He's under, he's totally hidden by the tree and he's putting really, really effective fire on um, 
on uh, Matt Eversman's position and especially on Todd Blackburn. And I pull the vehicle up and I say, hey, Brad, I want you to just go ahead and take out that tree. Your 50 cal will go through the tree and into the guy behind the tree. So just go ahead and take out the tree so that we can get this thing done and get Blackburn loaded up. And within a matter of two or three rounds, boom, you're on the tree and the target is goes silent um, and no more problems from the tree anymore. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I didn't remember all that, but hey, it's all right. Then we get up to uh, Blackburn's position. We put him on this cargo Humvee, and now it's me in the Humvee with you on top riding on that 50 cal machine gun. It's Bonnet on top of Danny Mitchell's Humvee in the back, and then Blackburn on a Humvee in the middle. And the three of us are, these three Humvees are going to make our way back to the surgeon drop off uh, Blackburn. And then the plan was for us, I don't know if I had a chance to tell you this, but the plan was for, for us to turn right back around, get out there and help the exfil and help get the assault force back to the to the um, airfield. Um, did I even have a chance to explain the whole plan to you before we grabbed Blackburn and started? I was, I was along for the ride. I was yeah. just going where you took me, man. Um, I have had a chance to talk to audiences all over the world for the last 20 or 30 years. And what I tell them is when we drove down that narrow alleyway and turned onto Hallwadig Road, that big uh, sand road, what happened on that road, what you did on that road, but what happened on that road, I've never seen anything, never experienced anything like it before, never experienced anything like it since then. I'd like to hear it from your perspective. Tell everybody <laughs> what the gunfire was like when we turn the corner and we start getting hit from every single building, every window, every doorway, everywhere. It's, it's one of the things that I don't have like very good memory of. Uh -huh. I, I know that it happened. I know it was bad. The only thing that I can really remember of it is that yeah, noise was everywhere. And when you're up there, you, the bullets going by you, you can hear them. Yeah. You can, They're you can almost, right some of it, you can almost feel it. Yeah. You can feel the wind by your face. I mean, it was, it's like, which way, do, where, where do you go? How right. do you, how do you protect against this? You just pick a side and start trying to get targets because, and then your back is, is completely exposed. Yeah. You're getting stuff going by you as you're shooting this way, stuff's coming from behind you. So if you turn around, then your, your back is exposed yeah. again. There's no good way. And that's one thing about those turrets. There was no cover and no concealment right. up there, dude. Yeah. We're, we're up at a wall and you guys are looking out. You see a wall. Well, I see over that wall. I see down black. Yeah. I see up all these. I'm not saying you guys didn't. Ha you guys had the same kind of fire coming, but I could just see more. Of yeah. It. it was a very exposed position, man. Those turrets were not fun. I When I say Humvees, people think. Iraq and armored Humvees. Back in those days, it was fiberglass. And you're right, you're standing, half of your body is above the Humvee riding this 50 cal machine gun, and you're totally exposed from the waist up um, yep. with absolutely no protection around you. And like you said, if you turn the gun to the left, you're getting hit from the rear, right, and the, the front. If you turn it yeah. to the right, you're getting hit from three other directions. It was not a fun place to be, dude. I was watching you free gun on the streets as we were trying to take Blackburn back, and you were all over the place. And that's when I said, hey, Brad, take the left side of the Humvee, because Dominic Pilla also had that Mag 58 machine gun. And I told Pilla, yeah. take your machine gun, face the right side of the Humvee. 
And Brad, I don't think I've told you, I watched what happened next. I couldn't get my gun to the right of the vehicle as fast as Pilla could because he was already, um, you know, patrolling that side. But there was a guy hiding down the side of the road. He was under the bushes. He was right next to our Humvees when we got right next to him. And he took his AK-47 and pointed it right at your back. And that's the exact moment that Dominic Pilla shot him and, and hit him immediately and killed him before he could hit you in the back. Um, but that's also the exact moment that Pilla took a round in the forehead and fell over the lap of Tim, Tim Moynihan. Yeah, I didn't know that happened until way down the street, man. Yeah. So do, it, do you, I, I'm gonna, I don't know if you even had the words for it. I don't know how much of this you even remember, but can you describe what it was like when Moynihan starts to scream that Pella's dead because that that's that's when I that's massive. when I heard that's when I knew I, I didn't know anything was going on like that and I, I remember hearing because I didn't have earplugs and I wanted to be able to hear you guys nor did I not the smartest thing to do yeah. but hey and uh I remember hearing you I remember hearing you it, it, I, I could hear you guys going back and forth and I stopped for a second listen because it had that the, the shooting had died yeah. down on us a little bit at this point so I was kind of still trying to keep an eye out, but I was hearing, I heard you call back. Are you sure? Did you check for a pulse? And he said, yes, Sergeant, I checked. He's dead. I was like, the fuck? Yeah. It, sorry about the. All good, man. And then I'm, uh, and then I just remember telling myself and I'm, I'm trying to keep us safe. And that was a mess of a drive back, dude. Yeah, After that, I don't even want to get into that, but I was, uh, I just kept telling myself, don't look back. Don't look back. Don't look down you don't at Dominic Pilla and don't all look of that back. blood, right? Yeah, and I didn't listen to myself. When we finally did pull in, Yeah, and I'm yelling for medics, because for some, I'm medic, medic, and they're, you're like, no, it's okay, he's, he's, he's gone, and I look back. Yeah, we had to, I, I remember you and I had to part the Red Sea. There were 50,000 people in the streets in front of us. Yeah, and you had vehicles to, everywhere yeah. and people. and You were firing your 50 cal right over the tops of their head. Not going to kill anybody. A little anybody. bit. I, was, I mostly had my pistol just shooting yeah. in the air. Just telling, hey, you know, move. I yeah. didn't speak to them. I don't know what they Right. Trying to get them to move. and That's right. Not going to kill anybody, but need to get the no, crowds out of the way so it, we can get back to the base. That place was crowded, dude. And when we got back there, I helped pull Dominic off the back of the vehicle. And there was no question he was dead. And I'll just yeah. say this. He was yeah. dead before his body hit the floorboard. Yeah, he That's was. how massive the head wound was. It was it was instant. Brad, did I ever tell you that when I was in Somalia, I mean, in Panama, one of the things that I did is I moved all of the wounded and all of the dead rangers off of Rio Hato Airfield and took them back to the surgeon and also took the body bags back to our casualty collection point. And I moved a lot of blood and I moved a lot of dead bodies while I was in Panama. Did I ever tell you that? No, I don't remember hearing that. Well, this is important because when we got off the Humvees and we get notified from Lieutenant Moores that Mike Durant's helicopter's down, we need to go back out there and one of the special operators who came back with us. Huge shout out to John Mesa, who is, who is a bold man in combat, said, hey, Jeff, you need to go clean this Humvee up. When I jumped off the Humvees, we didn't have running water. We just had a water buffalo and some buckets. My bucket. And I remember saying, guys, you don't have to do this. I won't make you do this, but I can use some help. 
I, I did help, but I, I didn't have to touch anything other than picking up ammo, trying to get stuff straightened out. But the flesh stuff I left to you. I, yeah. I did. I did dump buckets and water after buckets, trying to get get some of it cleaned out. When we were at when we were cleaning the back, the most terrifying moments of my life, hands down, was standing at the back of that Humvee with you cleaning up Dominic Pillow's body, literally. His brain, the bone, all of it splattered everywhere on the back of that Humvee. And I remember for a moment, I also, I remember the radio was still on. I was listening to the fight. It was going really, really bad. And I remember saying, just turn the, turn the radio off. I don't want to hear it right now. It was so bad. But I also remember watching you, Brad, and I watched you who have never been around that kind of blood and bodies before. I have, and I've been around them more than once. I watched you and that was one of the moments I was like, I can't believe what I'm seeing from this guy. He's been in the army for maybe a year, year and a half, been in the Ranger Regiment for just a little while, never ever been in a circumstance like this. And he's doing one of the most gruesome things a warrior will ever have to do in combat. And he's holding it all together where most people <laughs> who have been around for 20 or 30 years couldn't hold it together. I put on a good, a good fake. Hey, come on, dude. <laughs> I wasn't holding it in, in my mind, dude. It wasn't, there was nothing held together. Well, in what I, by holding it together, I mean, you didn't run to the corner of the airfield hangar and go hide and, you know, call no, it quits no. for the night, man. You stayed Don't think right I didn't there. want to. I don't think, don't I, think didn't I didn't want to. want to. You stayed right there in the middle of the fight. And when we were cleaning the back of the Humvee up, I was simply blown away by your courage, man. So I had a good, I had, I had an example right next to me to follow. You know what I mean? You, you, you were, I, I did what you did. I just followed you, dude. And uh, I was just watching you and trying to be a leader that was worthy of leading a guy like you in combat. Um, I'm narrating for the listener, obviously, is what I'm doing right now, Brad, kind of the highlights of this fight. And by highlights, I'm putting highlights in air quotes, because for me and you, these are the low lights of the fight. Um, we roll back out in the city streets. We're getting, uh, I'm getting directions from the command and control helicopter in the air, trying to take us at Durant's crash site. And then the helicopter says, drive down the streets, go to the burning tires. And right as soon as you get to the burning tires, if you take a right, you go to the straight, straight to the crash site. What that helicopter couldn't see is the ambush that was waiting for us down <laughs> that street. Remember that? There was pretty much every every uh, roadblock we came upon had an ambush waiting at it. And this one, so that I, was a pretty big, pretty that, big one. That dude. one was rough. I remember thinking we were right, literally right next to the guys when they opened up on our Humvee, ten feet away. You're you're totally exposed, you know, from the waist up, sticking out of the top of the Humvee. We're ten feet away from them, and they open up with an RPG. That makes sense. And then automatic gunfire right after that. And the RPG totally bounces off of the hood of the vehicle and explodes in the wall next to us. And to this day, I don't even know how that was possible. How could you Dude. miss a target that easy, that big? Well, he didn't close? miss it. He just didn't hit it straight enough. <laughs> it, it bounced up. Yeah, it was a little bit of a miss. 
it, thank God uh, for that. Yeah, it blew up. But in even the, still, when that thing blew up on that wall, that wasn't very far away. From no, me. and it. I was, it was like, how am I still here? Yeah, the overpressure was so close it. that it started to lift the Humvee up for just a second before it yeah, set it back down. It was, it was a pretty big explosion, pretty close to us. It's the one shot that should have killed everybody on the Humvee, and we we and it missed us basically. It, it yeah, should have killed yeah. us all, and it missed us completely. And I, I, to this day, can only give God credit for how that shot missed everybody on the vehicle because we should have all been dead after that RPG. Yeah. Um, so we end up having to back the, the, the convoy out of that street, come back around, and that's when we linked up with the rest of McKnight's convoy. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Because... And they um, were coming in, and they looked pretty beat yeah. up, man. Some of those vehicles... We had to stand there waiting for them to offload all the yeah. sensitive gear and the weapons. And we, yeah. there was at least a Humvee, one of the five tons I think we left there. Yeah. Through the grenade and the, and the motor and all that. Yeah. So many dead bodies, so many vehicles dis disabled that we, you and I, and a handful of other guys have to transload the dead onto the good vehicles. And then Aaron Weaver and I, like you said, set thermite grenades on the engine block of one of those vehicles and on the radio gear and burn the vehicle in the city streets because it couldn't even make it anymore back to the base. And when we linked up with those guys, they were shot to pieces and helped get those guys back. And I think at that point, that's when Cavaco was pretty seriously hit already. Yeah, I don't remember. So now we make it back to the base. This is the second time back. Um, now even more blood and more dead bodies around us. And I thought that somehow uh, Colonel McKnight's column of vehicles had, had uh, secured all of the rest of the assault force. I thought that the rest of the folks at the crash site were already on those vehicles when we got back. And that's when... I learned now half of the force is still out there and we're going to need help from the United Nations to go back out there. So we start to plan this big United Nations mission. I want to give credit at this point where credit's due. Um, Major at the time, now retired General Craig Nixon, called me off to the side and said, Jeff, your men are, they're looking to you and they're scared. And you need to go talk to them because you're asking them to go back out in the city streets a third time. And going back out there the second time was bad enough. Going back out there a third time is almost too much to ask. So you need to go basically give them a little pep talk. And I don't know if you remember that talk when I jumped up on a metal folding chair and just said, all right, guys, gather around. Here's what's about to happen next. Um, do you remember any of that? Kind of. I mean, you know. Yeah, so. I was kind of in a haze during all that. Because every time we got back in, I was like, how am I still alive? Thank God we're back. And I just kept waiting on the rest of the guys yeah. to come in. I thought it was over. So did I. Until and then it's like, no, we got to go back. And it yeah. was like, wait a second. I can't go back. I go back out there. I'm dead. There's no. I can't go back. That's, I'm, there's no way. That's why you and I are doing this episode right now, Brad. Because in. To, to that exact point, that's exactly what was going back through my mind. If I go back out there, I'm going to get, I wasn't thinking about me. I was thinking about you guys. If I go back out there, every single guy on my Humvee is going to get killed. You can't possibly ask us to go back out there 
And then they, then they say, Hey, Jeff, you guys got to get ready to go back out there. And I'm like, we're all going to die. Every one of us are going to yeah. die tonight. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was what everybody was thinking the same thing. Let's go to the middle of the, the night. This is without a doubt, the bravest events that I've ever seen in a firefight. And Brad, just so you know, many deployments to Afghanistan and Iraq after Somalia, Panama and Desert Storm before Somalia. I've seen killing, I've seen bravery, but not like I've seen from you. So we, we tuck into this huge force, Pakistani tank, Malaysian armored personnel carriers, 10th Mountain and Humvees, and we're on the same Humvees that are already shot to pieces at this point. And we roll back out there. I remember we turned on National Street and I thought no one in their right mind would be crazy enough to fire at this huge convoy with all of these vehicles. And A all lot of guns. Weapons. <laughs> and then as soon as we turned the corner, National Street became like a 4th of July with fireworks going off in the left and right everywhere we were. And I thought to myself, here we go again. Yeah. We're on National Street. I don't even remember how long we've been on National Street. And this is where you really, really um, blew me away, man. First thing that happens, well, lots of things happen. But one of the first notable things that happen is you take a ricochet from around across your forehead and are bleeding into your eye, right? Yeah, but I, I still don't know exactly what hit me. Something, something hit me. Okay, so I want to tell the list. I want the listener to hear what you just said. We're driving down the road. You and I, at this point, have been in and out of the city streets twice. And at this point, now we're getting hit like the 4th of July, fireworks going off left and right. And on National Street, you take a round across the forehead. That alone should have killed you. That alone would have taken most guys out of the fight. And now you're bleeding down into your eye a little bit, which of course makes it harder it made, to see. Yeah, it makes it a little hard to see where what you're looking at. But yeah. uh, when that happened, though, that happened at the same time that something hit me in the hand. And my hand, it, I had my hands on the back of the 50, and my hand goes this way, my head goes that way, my K-pop flips back, and my nods are off. I'm like, what the hell was that? And yeah, my hand burned. I, I asked you, I, I, hey, can I, you look at this? Tell me yeah. what the hell's going on. It was burning. It was like somebody was sticking burning needles into my hand. I was like, what the heck? I remember this like it was yesterday. RPG goes off, hits the wall right next to us. It's just a few feet away. The flaming, sh the flaming hot shrapnel peppers you and it takes, it hits you in the right hand because it hits the right side of the vehicle. And when you say this, I, I say, Brad, jump down in the vehicles. Let me take a look at that hand. And I want to do a little bit of first aid on you. And I remember there's, there's two things about this that I still carry with me. I still remember what this smelt like. And I still remember what this sounded like. Because when you fell down into the, not fell down, when you got down into the Humvees next to me, you were holding your right hand. It was sizzling like bacon in a frying pan. Okay. And there was I don't remember that. And there was still <laughs> smoke and there was still um, a smell coming off of it, like the smell of burning meat. And I was like, Brad, I'm going to put a bandage on that hand. But first, I got to pour some pour some water out of my canteen. This is not sterile. I got to pour some water on it to try to put the, uh, to try to uh, knock the, the, flaming hot metal down a little yeah, bit it was, <laughs> and uh, bandage your hand up 
And this is the bravest thing I've ever heard. I've ever seen uh, the bravest act I've ever heard in my life. I was like, Brad, you've got, it takes two hands to run a 50 cal machine gun. That is a massive, that's a massive <laughs> gun with a lot of meat behind it. And now you you're bleeding into your eye. You've got shrapnel that's still burning in your right hand. And I said, Brad, why don't you just take a seat in the back of the Humvee? I'll put somebody else on the 50 cal. And I will never forget to my dying day what you said to me. Tell everybody what you said. I don't remember, dude. I just know I said, I got it. I'm, I'm good. You, you know? said to me, no, Sergeant, it's my gun. I've got it. It's my responsibility. And yeah, I almost yeah. punched you in the face, man, because I was <laughs> trying to tell you, Brad, there's no way you can shoot. There's no, no I way did, you though. can fight. I, I shot it, dude. Yes. I found a way. I did okay with it. I tried multiple times to tell you, Brad, don't get back up on that 50. Somebody else can go run the 50 cal tonight. You've done enough. Just sit in the back. And multiple times you said to me, no, Sergeant, it's my job. It's my gun. I got it. And you jumped back on the gun and you stayed on the gun all night long. And that was the yeah. moment I said, this is the bravest man it I've got ever hard, seen though. There was a couple of times where I thought about letting Moynihan up there because it was kind of hard with the one hand, not really. Yeah. Uh, tell everybody, I, I could figure it out. But uh, I was going to say, tell everybody what it took just to change out ammo cans and to recock that gun with one hand. That, with, now with that, only one it's hand. It's a little tough. A lot of guys can't do it with one hand. I did, though. And my... my 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 hand still worked, but during the night, dude, the longer it went on, that pain in my hand just kept traveling up my arm yeah. all the way to my shoulder. So my whole arm pretty much wouldn't work. But but I could, I still, I made it work. I I would pull back on it and I would like get it with my elbow I and saw pull that. back the charge. By the I next by the next morning, you're using your right forearm and your left hand to cock the gun every time you replace the ammo cans yeah, yeah. because you've got no real use of your right hand. And I no, am but it, it myself, I'm thinking to myself, anybody, anybody in their right mind would have jumped off of the, the 50, gotten the back. I of the know movie. it probably would have been the right thing to do, but I, I was still doing okay, man. I could handle it. Yeah, you could handle it. Um wow, did you handle it? Um and I this is this is the point where I realized this is one of the bravest acts I think I've ever seen in my life. And then we start to get hit, remember this, from the building right next to us, from the rooftop. Remember Dude, that? I remember because I got burnt. The brass I, I see brass bouncing off of the off the off the you know the, the, the top, top of the Humvee. And I'm like, that's not coming for me. There's no one else up there. So what the and I look up and yeah, it's raining down on me and when I looked up, it's landing down my shirt and it gets into the flaming hot brass. I can't get it out because yeah. the hot brass is burning me. I because I got that <laughs> that vest on. I'm like crap, crap, crap. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I'm looking. I'm like, what am I going to do about this guy? I can't. I think Bonnet might have tried to rake him with with some uh, with the Mark 19. Yeah, he might have a few times, but he couldn't get to him either because that you know he was too close to where he couldn't lab him on it. Yeah. So. So I want the, that's what I want the listener to hear. We are 10 feet away from the building. The building is two or three stories tall. We're getting hit from the rooftop, but there's literally no way to get a weapon to that rooftop from where we're at. There's I just had my pistol, but the guy, the guy that was up there was at least smart enough not to lean over. He would just lean the gun over and squeeze. And luckily, I don't think he even knew we were there. He was aiming at the guys behind us mostly. That's why I said, I can't, I can't let this go, man. This is, I got to do something. 
So this moment I will is etched in my memory forever. We're getting hit from this rooftop. I feel it. You feel it. Everybody around us feels it. But there's no way we can get our guns on that rooftop to engage the guy because he's over the side of the roof. And that's when I said, uh, Brad, I need you to throw a hand grenade. And you're right-handed, and your right hand has a bandage and flaming hot shrapnel in there. I need you to throw a, a hand grenade on that rooftop. But you and I had a little grenade tossing conversation before we did this um, about cooking off a grenade. Yeah, if, yeah. If you don't yeah. cook it off, let me tell you what's going to happen. I know, happen. I know. So can you des I, can you describe that before you throw the grenade? Can well, you describe the conversation you and I had before you had to throw that grenade? Yeah, and, and I, I knew how to cook them off. I mean, that's what they always teach us and train us. And we've thrown them in, tra in practice and training and all that. But not in a real-life situation. It's a little different. And where I was, I was scared to do it because, I mean, I I, I knew I, I had to. I knew that I had to. But I'm thinking to myself, I'm standing. I can't get a, I can't get it like a jump start. Yeah. I can't, can't run and, I got and, this can't run and vest jump. On, yeah. This big vest. And I'm like, and those grenades are heavy. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to cook it up. I'm going to throw it. I'm like, I better get it up there because if it doesn't make it up, if it comes back down, I got to, I got to stand here and make sure that it's not going to bounce off the building and come back and kill us all. That's that was because those things can kill you. Even if it landed outside the, yeah. the Jeep, we'd have been screwed up, but I'm like, okay. So I, I, I made up my mind. I'm going to do this, you know, and I put everything into throwing that. I mean, every ounce of strength I had. And I'm watching that thing going up, and I'm like, "Come on, come on, come on, come on!" And it's <laughs> like it's in slow motion, over, right? Barely creeped over it. I'm like, "Oh, thank you!" And then I forgot. I think I didn't have earplugs. Yeah. So boom, and then it's like, "Crap!" That kind of rocked me a little bit. Even up there, that, that was close enough. It's a loud grenade, man. We had a conversation, you and I, right before you threw the grenade, exactly like you're describing it. And I remember saying, "Brad, listen, man, that." Uh, building is so close to us. If you throw that grenade and it doesn't go off right away, all he has to do is pick it up and drop it over the side and it's going to land right on top of us. Yeah. So I need you to cook this off. Now, I want the listener to understand the average grenade has about a four to five second fuse. After you pop the spoon, four to five seconds later, the grenade is going to blow up. And I remember saying, Brad, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to count after you pop the spoon. And when I tell you, you throw and don't you dare throw one second early, because if you do, he's just going to pick it off of the roof and drop it right back on top of us. And to perfection, you pop the spoon. I count 1,000, 2,000 throw. And I watch the grenade like you in slow motion go oh, over you can the see roof. It. And then <laughs> as soon as the grenade crossed the, the lip of the roof, boom, boom. it blows up. Yeah. And there's no more problems. No more fight. No more That's fire right. up there. No more problems from the rooftop for the rest of the yeah. night. And I was like, that guy, Brad, just did this with flaming hot shrapnel using his right hand and put the grenade perfectly where Dude, it was supposed to be that was with not perfect easy. timing. That wouldn't be easy to do under the best circumstances. I don't think I've ever been that accurate with a grenade, let alone with a wounded hand when you threw no, that grenade. No, that's, you know, hey, that's another one of those God things, man. It, it had I to be. I totally agree. I could spend the next hour, but we don't have that kind of time. So I want to kind of get to the next morning. You and I stay on those city streets. You stay on the gun. And all night long, I was thinking to myself, this guy's been in the Army for maybe a year and a half. 
He's been in the Ranger Regiment for maybe a year. This is his second real firefight in his life. And I've never seen anything so brave in my life. We're getting ready to leave. And if you remember, I get the call from Larry Moore's, hey, all of the rest of the vehicles are going to go down the road. All of the assault forces loaded up on the vehicles. The last two vehicles out are going to be Larry Moore's and me and you. And I call up to you and I say, hey, Brad, we're the last vehicle out of the city streets. I want you to take your gun, face it to the rear, pull rear security, because all of the rest of the convoy in front of us will take care of the front of the vehicle. And we start driving away. And you remember when you called down to me from the turret and told me what you saw running down the streets after us? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, we got some guys coming. We, you're like, light them up. Yeah. I'm like, no, they're our guys, dude. I could tell by their just the the shapes of them that what the equipment. I, I just knew it was our guys. If it know? wasn't for you, Brad, I would have driven away, and all of those guys would have had to go out on foot. We're driving away, and you call down to me, and you say, "Hey, Sergeant, there's some guys running down the streets." And my first reaction is, "They must be Somalis. Everybody's supposed to be on the vehicles in front of us. Light them up, Brad." And you say, no, Sergeant, those are our guys. I looked around me because the vehicles shot the pieces, rearview mirrors all busted up. And sure enough, there's a dozen of our assault force running down the city streets with eyes as big as saucers because we're driving <laughs> away. Yeah, they were way back there too. They were probably a good half a mile, well, quarter mile yeah. at least away, half mile. And Larry Morris, I I couldn't get him on the radio, so I drove up to him really fast and I said, sir, we got to go back. They're still guys in the streets. And we bounced into each other and bounced into garbage on the side of the road, driving back into the target building, dragged it into the target. When those guys dove in the back of our Humvees, and I mean, so many guys dove in the back of the Humvees that there was literally no place for them. And they were just hanging on by their hands and their feet were dragging across the ground uh, from the back of the Humvee as we drove back to the base the next morning. And when I got off the Humvees to this day, and this is 30 years later, Brad, you, what you did that night on those city streets on that 50 cal is the bravest act I've ever seen in combat. And I've seen a lot of valor in combat. But man, you blew me away. There was a lot of that going on. You just didn't get to see it. There was a lot of other turret gunners, a lot of other soldiers out there doing stuff. People that people don't even hear about, man. It's makes me a little sad for that stuff. Um, I mean, the fact that you're sharing my stuff and story, I appreciate it. But there's so many guys that just they don't get mentioned in anything. I put a couple of only a couple of guys from our squad in for Valorous Awards. And I put you in for the Silver Star when we got back from Somalia. It took 28 years before your Silver Star was approved. And I think you may be the youngest Ranger I've ever seen in my life to ever receive the Silver Star. But I'm telling you, man, you deserved it. You probably deserved the Distinguished no, Service No, Cross. Dude, I'll tell you, that that was... Uh, I, I had a friend who, who went through... Uh, basic and airborne and rip and stuff with me and he was a pack clerk uh -huh. and he told me he's like dude he's like your name's on the list to get a silver star i'm like what it was down to like 12 guys or yeah. something I, I was still on the list i was like what and and then i think they gave six or something yeah. but i was a pfc dude ain't what the heck is who's this guy what's he it's all right though i don't ding awards 
but it is it's nice to be recognized and but it's all of us that should be recognized you know the guys that people haven't heard about man that's everybody on those humvees blew me away that night but you above everybody else when well, that's because I was above you, dude. <laughs> I was there. When, there you got this. When it. I put the awards in, I put you and Dominic Pillow both in for the Silver Star because of what I watched you guys do. And Pillow was dead within the first 30 minutes of the fight. You stayed on top of that Humvee, wounded multiple times, and probably, uh, you know, the only guy I've ever seen in my life who can fire that massive 50 cal machine gun with uh, one hand because of the shrapnel and uh to this day that was like one and a half hands yeah. the, the the hand was still there it didn't it was still yeah. there to this day it's some of the bravest uh bravest acts i've ever seen in a fire yeah well thank you dude i just my my mind was made up after pila went i was i felt responsible for that because i i was on the big gun i was supposed to keep everybody safe and that's why when you kept telling me you know let someone else up there i'm like no no, if anybody else is going to get hit, it's going to be me. I'm not letting someone else take a bullet for me, you know? Uh, so I, I'm going to stop right there. I want, I want people to hear my interpretation of what you just said. I know what that means. You know what that means, but the listener may have missed what that means. After Dominic Pilla was killed, and I know how much you look up to Pilla, and I know how much this, how bad this hurt. Uh, devastated you after Dominic Pillow was killed. You made the decision: if anybody else is going to die on these Humvees, it's going to be me, because I have the big gun and I have the big responsibilities. And that's probably why you have, in my mind, the greatest. That night, you uh, is the same. Your uh, what you did is the single greatest uh, acts of valor I've ever seen in my life. Uh, there was plenty of other ones you just didn't get to see it because it was like a couple hundred yards away from yeah. us dude i'm telling you there was plenty of that going around i'm sure of it when we finally made it back to that united nations base the pakistani soccer stadium that's when i realized just how bad i thought it was just us that's when i realized just how bad the whole force had been shot up i saw all of those body bags laid down in a row i saw all of the medics trying to keep everybody alive huge shout out to doc stanford who was uh, Stanfield, who was treating people all the way up until the next day, PFC, who had multiple uh, guys with, you know, litter urgent, multiple guys who are hanging on to life and they're all around him. And he's trying to treat one at the same time he's telling somebody else what to do with another one. But when I got, when, with, when we pulled into the stadium the next day, that's when I realized just how bloody this fight really was. Yeah, because I, I hadn't heard from anybody because up in the turret, I can't hear it. I don't know what's going on anywhere else. And, and when we jumped off of those Humvees, I remember looking at our squad and thinking, how is anybody alive right now? How on earth did any one of us survive last night? Um, and to this day, I've always said it is solely because of God's grace that any of us are still alive today. I should be in Arlington National Cemetery, not some of those other guys. Yeah, that's the same thing we all were thinking. Brad, if there was one guy that I would have, if I was the guy making, writing the book or making the movie about Black Hawk Down, if there was one guy that I would make the central character in the movie, it would have been you. No, oh, man, that's, that's just because, like I said, you didn't see everything else. There was so much in that because that, that for what we saw, it was so intense, but 
other people saw, they could have seen worse. I mean, yeah. it, it was bad everywhere. There was so it, there was nowhere safe out on those streets. There was nowhere safe. But what I saw was you, and I watched you all night long. And to this day, I'm think I've been thinking this is a guy with very little experience, very little training, first real massive firefight, and he is absolutely undaunted by it. He's 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 able to hang on and to keep running that gun all night long. And literally, we're still on the gun when we pulled back in the next morning. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's what I was trained to do, man. Yeah. I'm going to end this broadcast by just saying this to you one more time. Brad, when I go to my death, there's a few things that I will look back and be very, very proud of. And one of those things is being able to serve with guys like you. Um, it has been one of my greatest honors, man. So thank you for coming on this episode and being a guest on Unbeatable with me. Thanks. I have been longing for 30 years to have this conversation with Brad because I wanted you and everyone in the world to know what I think about this incredible warrior. I wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for the guy standing right above me, completely exposed from the waist up to enemy fire from every direction all night long. Brad, thank you for what you did on those city streets. I wanna thank all of the listeners that stay connected with us. For those of you that are subscribing to this podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast platforms, thank you for being so loyal. And not just for our loyal listeners, I also wanna thank the people that are connected to us on social media. You know, we're pretty much everywhere on social media. If you are looking, you can find us, just search for at Unbeatable Podcast. But one of those people that are very connected with us on social media is our fan of the week this week. It's Matthew Henderson. And Matthew, I just wanted to say thanks for staying plugged in. Thanks for being so engaged. Thank you for being part of this amazing group of people that stay connected to the Unbeatable podcast. The pinnacle of this group is what we call the Unbeatable Army. It's a email list, but it's a lot more than the email list. It's our way of communicating with the listeners during the week. And if you want to be part of the Unbeatable Army, it's totally free. Just simply go over to unbeatablearmy.com. I'm going to say it again. Brad, thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for what you did above me on those city streets. And next week, I can't wait to bring you another guest who this story should have been in the movie Black Hawk Down, but it wasn't. See you right back here next week.